From Entrepreneur Media, this is Problem Solvers, a show in which entrepreneurs do what entrepreneurs do best, solve unexpected problems in their business. We were completely wrong. And I'm just like, it's not selling. It was like, we have to start from scratch. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. How comfortable are you with conflict? Are you comfortable with it? Do you go into a setting knowing that, you know, maybe this isn't going to be the friendliest conversation, but it needs to happen? Or do you try to avoid it? Do you feel like, oh, maybe there's another way? Maybe we can all just be friends. I will admit to you, conflict is not my strongest suit, though I've gotten more comfortable with it over time. And yet, I don't think that I could ever walk into a situation and just be as direct and, well, confrontational As, for example, this scene from Bar Rescue, which is that great television show hosted by John Taffer, where he goes in and then tries to fix failing bars. Uh, Here here he is walking in and addressing a team who is running a bar that is sinking. Hi, guys. My name is John Taffer. For the next five days, you work for me. Fixing bars is easy. Fixing people is tough. You guys are pouring drinks that people are complaining about. You're serving food that people can't eat. And she's sinking because of it. Now, maybe you just listened to that or maybe you've seen the show and you think, well, yeah, that's great television, but what does that have to do with actual business? And I will tell you something. I have gotten to know John Taffer over the years. I'm happy to call him a friend. He is not quite like that in real life, of course. He's playing to the cameras but he is very direct and he is not afraid to tell you something that you may not want to hear. And that is how he has built his career. That's how he's gotten ahead. And it's the reason he wrote this book about how to do it in a way that is constructive, because conflict can, of course, be destructive, to do it in a way that's constructive and thoughtful and helpful. It's called The Power of Conflict. Speak your mind and get the results you want. And I recently, for the launch of this book, spoke to John on Instagram Live because I wanted people to hear his message and I wanted to dig into how he does this. How does he walk into a situation that is going to be uncomfortable and create an environment where something productive is going to happen? It is really hard and he's a master at it. And so on this episode of Problem Solvers, I want to play for you the conversation that we had on Instagram Live. I will admit to you the audio quality is, of course, not nearly as good as it would be if we had recorded this for a podcast, but you will hear him just fine. And what he has to tell you, I think, is going to make you a smarter negotiator, manager, thinker, someone who is willing to go in and get the job done. That's the power of conflict, as John Taffer says. You don't have to be yelling at people on television to make use of it. So that's the conversation that's coming up after the break. Think about a bicycle. It takes balance to get where you want to go. Now think about business. Whatever your business or organization, you ride the line between numbers and people. Just like the bike, it takes balance. C-L-A, CPAs, Consultants, and Wealth Advisors. That's C-L-A. We'll get you there. Clifton Larson Allen LLP. Investment advisory services are offered through Clifton Larson Allen Wealth Advisors LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. All right, we are back talking with John Taffer, host of Bar Rescue and author of the new book, The Power of Conflict. And I got to tell you, John Taffer, 
He may be a master at conflict, but he is also a master of relationships. Before we get into the actual interview, can I just tell you that when I started this Instagram Live and I introduced him and I started to pivot into talking about and basically promoting his new book, he instead cut me off to say, By the way, before we get going, I want to compliment you on your newsletter and the work that you've been doing, buddy. Really, really good work. And if anybody listening hasn't checked out your newsletter and the work you're doing, they should. Well done. I didn't ask John to do that. That was so nice. John, I'm like still delighted that that's how you kicked things off. Uh, If you have not checked out my newsletter, dear listener, jasonpfeiffer.bulletin.com. That's where to do it, jasonpfeiffer.bulletin.com. But okay, back to John. John, a master of conflict, is going to tell you why it's so important. That is how I started. I said, John, I feel like we're in a moment of such conflict. There is conflict everywhere, but it is often not constructive. And so can you set us up with an understanding of what you mean by conflict? Because it, of course, isn't just yelling and screaming for no good purpose. And he said, you know, in today's world, no matter what your political beliefs are, whatever your religious beliefs are, and this book is non-political. It takes no sides about anything. It's a politically neutral book. But whatever our values are, we better stick up for them today or they're going to disappear. And I think having the confidence to engage in, as you said, purposeful, deliberate, dignified conflict, not cursing online, none of that behind the screen kind of stuff. I mean, you and I could disagree on something. I still can love you. I still should treat you with dignity. If we're going to engage together, I should have a purpose for engaging with you. I should know that that engagement is going to be worth it in the end, or why would I do it? So... It's all about giving people the confidence to engage in dignified, meaningful conflict and advance their lives by sticking up for themselves. And if I can add something interesting, Jason, in my research for the book, we studied the physiological effects of not engaging, of being submissive and holding your views to yourself. And they're not good. It dulls the amorphins in your brain. It has a very bad physiological effect on you. So sticking up for yourself is not only emotionally smart, it's physically smart. Now, I know that's fascinating. I didn't know about that science. So I know that you say in this book, this is not a book just arguing for arguing. What you're arguing for is arguing smarter. Can you make that distinction? Absolutely. First of all, it's understanding what to argue for. And in the book, I say this, uh, you know, about President Trump in a non-political way. He had too many fights. <laughs> he fought trivial things that weren't worth it in the end. You know, NASCAR comes to mind as one, right? That was a, So first of all, engage when it's meaningful. And we have meters and evaluation systems in the book that identify if an engagement is worth it. Next, where you engage is important. Right. What time, how you go about it. We want to talk about that. And then dignity. You know, Jason, if you and I have a disagreement and we're going to sit at the table and talk, if you think I'm going to rob you of your dignity and embarrass you, why would you come sit at the table and talk to me in the first place? So it's all based in dignity and respect. And I learned that in Bar Rescue, as you well know, my friend, I've I've learned that sometimes the anger you see on Bar Rescue is not emotion. It's deliberate. And I have a purpose and I've identified that I'm going to do this now to affect that. And I'm focused on the consequence of the conflict. And the conflict is more surgical, if you will. You don't come from television. You come from a deep business background. I wonder if 
Most people know you from television, and so they see you employ these skills in a theatric way. But can you rewind a little bit and talk to us about where you developed this sense of useful, smart conflict? You know, years ago, as as you know, because we've been friends for a long time, I, I was a food and beverage director at a resort. I was a general manager at a resort, and I've run all types of hospitality properties from concert venues to, to ski resorts. And, you know, there were always owners and always equity managers and always people above me in that world. I was the kind of guy, if somebody got in my way, I would take the key ring out of my pocket. I'd throw it at my supervisor across the table and say, you want my job? Do it. If not, let me do it. And I was always quick to engage, but I gave myself accountability and I delivered. So you don't do something like that if you don't have the self-accountability to make it worth the other person's decision to give you back those keys in a proverbial sense. So that's interesting because that means that you started from a place, it sounds like, where you were comfortable with a level of conflict. I think a lot of people, John, are the opposite. They fear conflict or they feel like conflict is in some way a negative interaction. And I'd love to hear some advice from you about how people can warm to this. Now, by the way, I'm also just watching the comments. I've heard some people ask about the book. And so let me just restate as we go here that we're talking about John's new book, The Power of Conflict, which you can get now wherever books are sold. And it's a guide to how to argue, not just because of it, but because it's smart and it's effective. And there are ways to do it with dignity and power. So John, Talk to me about how someone who doesn't have that natural instinct to have a conflict to get them to the place where they can use this in a smart way. You know, conflict is a word that has sort of a negative connotation. You know, manipulation is another word that has a negative connotation. But, you know, we manipulate employees and people in our lives all the time. Heck, if entrepreneur gave you a 100 percent raise, that's pretty terrific. Sounds it's good. also manipulative. They're doing it for manipulative reasons. So. These are not necessarily dirty. What if we didn't use the word conflict? What if we use the word engagement instead? What if we use the phrase in the arena that do you want to be in the arena of discussion and engagement in our world? In today's society, every voice matters. And for those of us who don't speak up, that minority with big mouths looks like they lead the day, but they don't necessarily do so. When Nazi Germany was taken over by fascists, only about 30% of the country were Nazis. Mm. 70% were not, but that 70% was quiet, whereas the other 30% was very loud. So my point is this, we all need to step in the arena and fight for the things that we believe in today. And maybe fight isn't even the right word, Jason. Maybe we all need to step in the arena and speak up for the values and things that are important to us. And we should never be scared to say something that is important to us. And if society causes us to do that, those are the kind of things we need to push back at. Because your opinion not only should mean everything to you, it should mean something to me. I want to pick up on what you were just saying there because it's really fantastic. A point that you make in the book is that you have to stay aware of your objectives during a conflict instead of just escalating tension unnecessarily. Can you talk about that? Because I think that that's something where people easily get lost. Maybe they originally thought, as you had said earlier, that they're going to raise tensions in some way for a useful reason. They're going to get people to pay attention to them or whatever the reason is. But then it goes off the rails. It becomes emotional. And suddenly we're arguing about things that are far beyond the point. So how do people stay aware of their objectives in a moment like that? Well, first of all, it should not be emotional. 
We shouldn't lose control of it. It should be deliberate and it should be thought through. If I want to convince you that the wall to your left is blue, not white, it's going to take some time. <laughs> I'm not going to get there if you're screaming at me and I'm screaming at you. So I would start in a very slow, methodical way. I get you to agree to a couple of points. Let's say we disagreed on immigration, right? And let's say, I don't think anybody should ever come in. I don't feel that way. And you think everybody should come in. We could agree on a couple of things. We want everybody to be happy, right? We want people to be safe. We want families to stay together. We both want these common things. We're really only arguing about how we get there. Mm -hmm. Let's not forget that. Typically, we all want the same thing. It's just the way we get there and think about it is different. So we start conflict and these conversations of engagement by identifying that common ground. And why it's worth it for us to have this discussion, because it means something to you and it means something to me. So let's talk about this. So it becomes a constructive conversation. We have systems in the book and, and processes that we describe to keep it non-emotional. Also to understand when that other party gets emotional, there's no discussion to be had anymore. At that point, you shut it down and come back another day. Every conflict doesn't have to be won that day. Sometimes it's a small process. I've had conversations with people where they disagree with me. And the next day, I notice they're doing something differently. When they slept on it, suddenly, you know, their mind opened a little bit or whatever. So understand this isn't a one-round uh, uh, engagement. This is the way we live our lives, by speaking what we believe, listening to the people around us that we care about, understanding opposing views, getting in the arena, being engaged and sticking up for what we believe in. Sounds like a good life, doesn't it? It sure does. It sure does. And it sounds like a life of understanding and mutual mutual agreement towards a goal, which I think is so important that you just said there. It's something, as you were saying it, I was thinking a thing that I have found that works really well for me, and I'm curious what you think, is that whenever I'm going into a conversation that I realize could, could feel a little contentious, I try to start by acknowledging that I understand the other person's goal, explicitly saying it. I know that you want to do this, and I know that I want to do this, and I think we have a lot of common ground there. And then throughout, continually restating that, because it's not just about making sure that I understand my own objective. And it's not just about understanding that another person has the objective too, but it's also about making sure that the other person knows that I understand that they are not crazy, that they do not have bad intentions, that they're coming from some kind of honest place, even if it's not a place that I necessarily agree with. What do you think of that? Oh, I completely agree. And there's sections on the book that talks about that. For example, you wouldn't cut off their sentence in the middle. That's telling you you're not important to me, and that sentence didn't mean anything to me. You use body language like this, you know, that shows you're engaged and you're listening. I want to pull it out of you so that we can talk about it. I don't want you to build up a brick wall around yourself. That's the whole principle of the book, is to do this in a respectful and dignified way that causes people to not get emotional, but put it on the table. And let's talk about it. Let's mix it up together. These are great dialogues when we treat each other with dignity. And that's been lost these past few years. I wanted this book to disconnect or reconnect, if you will, dignity and conflict, dignity and engagement, and make dignity all capital letters again. Because if we treat each other with dignity, we then all sit at the table with open attitudes. And that's when exciting things happen in the corporate world. That's when great ideas happen. You know, in the book, we talk about Walt and Roy Disney. 
and how they were so different. Walt was the creative guy who would have put him in bankruptcy 10 times over. Roy was the brother who had the checkbook who said, no, 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 no. And there's a section in the book where we talk about, I believe the movie was Cinderella. And there's a defect in the movie of Cinderella where these flashes appear to come out of her head. And to fix it in the print, Walt wanted to spend $150,000 and Roy said, no, no, no. And they fought about it and fought about it. Go watch the movie. You'll see that defect in the film. Uh, It's still there. But the point is this. When budgets and creativity work together and engage in an open, dignified way, the result is exciting. More creative budgets, more creative creative. Engagement and conflict in the workplace yields our greatest benefits. So I, as an entrepreneur, want to create the environment where the people that work for me can engage with me. I want them to say, John, I think you're crazy. And I say that, guys, if you think I'm crazy, tell me so. So it's important as managers, as entrepreneurs, and as employees that we foster an environment that creates constructive conflict. Because from great constructive conflict comes new ideas, new resolutions, new solutions, new opportunities. It's incredible what comes from this engagement when we're not scared to jump into that arena. John, I want to dig into what you just said there and ask for a little more management guidance for people. Because the point you make there is so valuable. You know, if you're a leader and people are afraid to come to you and, and, and present their own ideas or tell you that your ideas are wrong, you're going to get isolated really fast and you're only going to be aware of what you think. And that can get divorced from reality really, really fast. Now, I love what you said there, and I've said it myself with my own team and, and, and have have always reinforced that the reason I value my team is, is, is not just because they do great work, but also because they're willing to say when I have a bad idea. I value that so much. And the reason I say it over and over again is because I want to reinforce it so that nobody is ever afraid to do it. But I wonder if you have any other guidance for how a leader can make sure that they're creating an environment where people are willing to disagree without thinking that it's bad or that they're going to be sacrificing their own place in the hierarchy or whatever it is, because I think people do fear that. So, John, can you dig into more about how a manager can create that kind of culture? Sure. People have the confidence to engage when they have the confidence in themselves. And that confidence comes from a perception of self-worth in its root. So as a boss, as an employer, I want every person who works for me to have a feeling of self-worth. That's where this starts. So coming into your office, saying hello to you every day, saying that I'm proud you're working for me almost every day, not only what you do, who you are. You know, I'm proud you're with me, buddy. You know, you're always such a great contributor to the team. Little statements like that mean a lot. Going out to lunch with somebody means a lot. First, you build their self-worth so they have the confidence to engage and put their opinions forth. So it doesn't happen overnight, especially with new employees. They have to know that you're sincere, that you do value them, and they do have worth to you. When you can create self-worth and a perception of self-worth in your employees, boy, the promised land becomes a lot closer. From that evolves everything, confidence. And then think about when that employee does look at you and says, you're crazy. Said, what's the next line? Okay, then what do we do? From that comes great ideas and solutions, but it all started with you're crazy. (laughs) So let's not be scared to do that. And let's understand that if I didn't think you had self-worth, I wouldn't have hired you. 
So it starts from an interview process and the hiring process and the orientation process. And then you got to walk the walk. In meetings, when people throw stupid ideas out there, you don't say that's a stupid idea. You say, you know what? Let's jot that one down and revisit it another time. You do the kind of things that keep that self-worth in that environment going. You know, the greatest ideas in my companies don't come from me, Jason. You know that. And the greatest editorial ideas don't all come from you. Sure enough. It's a great team that makes us shine. And their self-worth is what gives them the ability to do that. Going to take a short break and then come back with more with John Taffer. Hiring great employees and keeping them is part of the growth plan for your business. Trinet offers full-service HR solutions tailored to small and medium-sized businesses so you can retain talent and grow. We're talking about access to top benefits, help with compliance and payroll, even when your team is remote or out of state. The works. Because Trinet gets it. Your people matter to your business. Learn more about their HR solutions at trinet.com slash podcast. That's T-R-I-N-E-T dot com slash podcast. Trinet. Incredible starts here. All right, we're back talking with John Taffer about his new book, The Power of Conflict. John, let's flip it a little bit. So we've just been talking about how to be a good leader, but what if you're working for a leader who is not receptive to this kind of communication? Oh boy, easy. You play to it, play to his ego. You know, so this company means very much to you, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. How proud are you of this company? Oh, John, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it's all because of you. You made this happen. This company is a cultural reflection of you. You should be so proud. Mm -hmm. I've got an idea to enhance this culture and make this brand even more meaningful to you. That's how you start. So again, I'm being very broad stroke in what I'm doing, but you know, that type of personality is easy to play to. And in the book, we talk about that. Who is the personality type that you're engaging with? Let's say that you're the opposite of that. You're shy. You don't want to speak up. You don't want to give me your opinions. You're that kind of aloof boss, if you will. Well, I got to pull this out of you now. So I'm probably not going to do it in your office because you're very comfortable being quiet and meek in your office. I'm probably going to try to meet you in a coffee room or someplace else to do it. But but you go at different people in different ways. That's what deliberate is all about, is understanding who I'm going to engage with, how I want to go about it, where I want to do it, what are my objectives, what is the best way to get to my objectives, and be methodical about it. And when we put it forth in the book, when people get to the end, they're going to realize, wow, this isn't to be feared. Mm-hmm. Conflict isn't to be feared. And Jason, that was my whole purpose, buddy, was to, to in essence, have people not be scared to engage in ways that enhance their careers and enhance their lives and to suggest to them that they're ripping themselves off if they don't. John, what's so interesting, I'm going to ask you this one last question about conflict, and then I want to ask you a few questions about Taffer's Tavern. We've actually had a lot of questions about Taffer's Tavern as we've been talking, including somebody who keeps asking if you're going to have book signings at Taffer's Tavern. So you can answer that in a minute. But first, let me ask you, as I was listening to your answer there, it occurred to me that it was very similar to what you were talking about in the beginning, which is that all of conflict and all of all of having these kinds of difficult conversations, no matter where you are in the 
in the in the leverage of the conversation, right? Are you the person who is bringing the conflict? Are you the person who is who is working with someone who is conflict averse or who is too? Con- the thing is that you have to not just understand what your objectives are, but the more that you really understand and approach somebody while understanding what they want to, what they need, then it doesn't matter if they are conflict averse or they are too confrontational, if they're a narcissist or if they're a good leader. The key here is, it sounds like, and I'd love for you to just expand upon this a little bit more. The key seems to be that the more you understand the person that you're talking to and what makes them tick and what their objectives are, the closer you will get to your own objective too. Is that right? Absolutely. You know, it starts with conversation and I want to make you curious. I want to make you curious to engage, curious to talk about this stuff, but you're exactly right. Different people, we go about it in different ways. There is no personality that is unapproachable. There is none. Every personality has some type of a crack in it that is open to change and open to reevaluating things. We just need to find it. And I think the book surgically addresses that step by step as we go through it. So John, let's talk about Tapper's Tavern for a moment. And let's start by answering those questions that I keep getting in the comments. Are you doing any book signings at the Tapper's Taverns? Yes, we'll be doing that. The schedule will be coming out soon. You know, we're opening in Washington, D.C. now in about five weeks, six weeks. Mm-hmm. Construction delays due to supply side. We're about 60 days late, actually. And we open in Boston shortly thereafter. We're close to uh, making announcements in Las Vegas and Tampa and Orlando. So we're growing at a rapid date. And yes, over the next few months, we will do book signings at all the, all the Taffer's Taverns. Awesome. All right. So, John, well, you and I sat down over lunch in 2019, which I, uh, 2019, that was before you had opened your first Taffer's Tavern, I believe. And you were telling me how you had constructed this franchise to address some of the challenges that you were seeing in the restaurant industry. Now, again, I'm going to stress 2019 because, of course, this was pre-pandemic and therefore before a whole new set of issues. And so some of the things that you had you had built into the concept of Taffer's Tavern was, was addressing rising labor costs, plummeting meal prices, and, 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 a, and an influx economy. Of course, now there was a whole new set of problems thrown at the restaurant industry. I'm curious, with a couple of years now to, to, to see how it's all played out, how that equation for addressing problems pre-pandemic has held up as the restaurant industry was rocked by a whole new set of challenges in the pandemic. You know, it's interesting. When we started this years ago, and you and I talked about this then, unemployment was very low and we couldn't find employees. So we said, could we create a new kitchen of the future with computerization and robot that would reduce the kitchen labor burden by 50, 60 percent? Then could we systemize it so much that seven days of training could become seven hours of training? That would really reduce management investment in the back of the house, allow them to go to the front of house, focus on customers because you wouldn't constantly be training and retraining in the kitchen. So what's wonderful is those principles held out. And our numbers held out. So we're running some of the lowest prime costs in the restaurant industry because of the labor savings that we have. But, you know, it's interesting. Most restaurants spend four to six percent of their revenue on marketing. Right. That's what the industry tends to spend because it's brand taffer. We don't do that. We don't spend any money on marketing. The restaurants have images and posters and stuff uh, 60 days before they open, creating a buzz in the market. On all the windows is a countdown, 10 days, 9 days, 8 days, 7 days. We create buzz in the marketplace. We open. There's no soft opening, which we wish there was, but we're packed on day one. So we eliminate the need for that marketing expense, which picks up much of the increases in uh, food costs 
and labor and other issues. So we're very pleased in that the engineering that we did in reducing labor in the back of the house, eliminating most marketing expenses and such, gave us that edge. So we're selling franchises like crazy. We're up to about 30 units now under development, and our numbers are doing very, very well. And we didn't see the pandemic coming back then, but it seems everything we did played to this. So now we not only are running great numbers, but we think we have the safest kitchen in America. It's so contactless in a way our food is prepared and such. It just worked out wonderfully for us. John, you have, I I love the phrase in business, the unfair advantage, because people, if you can figure out what that is and everybody's got one, then you can really play to it. And marketing is one of your unfair advantages because of the very large platform that you have built. Do you think that what you have managed to do with lowering those marketing costs and the way that you have for Taffer's Tavern is something that's replicatable for another business that doesn't have the kind of personality who's always out there in the world as, as, as you are? Maybe is there, is there something that you could advise other brands to think about and how to drop their marketing costs? Yeah, you know, that's a big challenge because every new brand has to, to invest in brand equity. Unfortunately, brand awareness, you know, brand connectivity are the, are the things that drive success in the business. I'm lucky. You know, I had a brand that 118 million people knew before I opened my first unit. That's a hard disadvantage to replicate if you don't have a pre-existing brand. Social media agencies will say, oh, yeah, we can accomplish that with viral, but I've never seen it happen. <laughs> So, you know, I think those things need to be understood with a grain of salt. I'm not sure there is a way to replicate that. I can tell you this. When I ran the Neighborhood Marketing Institute, I would tell every restaurant and bar that the future of their business is within 10 blocks of their front door, not in their city, not 30 blocks away, not on the other side of town. If my restaurant is, let's say, in Denver, the city of Denver is not my market. 10 blocks around my restaurant is my market. You can be a big deal in 10 blocks. It's hard to be a big deal in a whole city of Denver. So understand the difference between market area and trade area and focus on your trade area, which is typically your backyard, so to speak. And I affectionately tell the story of Al Gore when he ran for president and everybody thought he lost the race in Florida. Remember the chads and all of that? Of course, the hanging chads. Al Gore lost Tennessee. He lost that election in his own backyard. Focus on your backyard first. Understand we're in a local marketing business when we're in a restaurant and bar business. Focus on that local marketing, not citywide marketing. Find co-promotional partners to work with in the marketplace. Hit the clusters of where your target audience lives. You know where they are in that 10 block area and create awareness in a more contained area. That's a far better use of money in my view. John, I'm going to ask you one more question, which comes from Leanne. A shout out, Leanne, in our Entrepreneurs uh, Franchise team. Leanne was curious, as you've been growing Taffer's Tavern, what you've learned about maintaining consistency and quality among multiple franchisees. For us, uh, we're a little blessed. Our food is, is prepared sous vide, which inherently creates unbelievable consistency. It's specified very tight on the way in. The cooking is computerized. So the product on the way out is remarkably consistent. I could train you in about two hours to do it. So we don't have the consistency issues that other restaurants have because of our preparation techniques. But we still have to have it plated properly. Restaurant needs to be clean. Service sequencing needs to be right. So that human factor still exists. At the end of the day, engaged management is the answer. Pre-shift meetings. You know, years ago when I used to work with Rich Carlton, 
everybody lines up every morning at a Ritz-Carlton hotel and they read corporate values as a team. The company uses phrases like ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. Mm -hmm. It uses phrases like that that define who and what we are. You know, creating performance out of people comes back to not only the self-worth we talked about before, but gratification from achieving key objectives. We want them to feel gratified and accomplish something that's important to us. And there's no greater gratification than a guest smiling at you when you do well. John, it is always a pleasure to talk to you, to gain your wisdom. It is an honor to call you a friend. And everybody who is watching this should really pick up The Power of Conflict, a brilliant new book, and it couldn't have been released at a more important time. You are a master at it, and we thank you for your time. Uh, Good to see you, buddy. Thanks, everybody. Take care. You too. And that's our episode. I would love to hear what you think and maybe even about a problem that you solved. You can find me at my website, jasonpfeiffer.com. J-A-S-O-N-F-E-I-F-E-R.com. Also, I have some more useful stuff for you. I write a newsletter about how to future-proof yourself and become more adaptable and optimistic. I would love for you to sign up. It is at jasonpfeiffer.bulletin.com. Also, check out my other podcast. It's called Build for Tomorrow. In each episode, I take on some belief that we have that holds us back from progress and show you why it is not as bad as you think. Problem Solvers is a production of Entrepreneur Media and comes out every Monday morning, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Thanks to Deepa Shah for production. My name is Jason Pfeiffer. See you next week.